I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological look at the Gospels, today we'll be reading passages from all four Gospels. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 30, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 26, Luke chapter 21, beginning with verse 37, down through chapter 22, verse 30, and John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44, down through chapter 13, verse 35. Here's where we are in Jesus' ministry. He's still teaching in Jerusalem, and this is just a couple of days before his crucifixion. Later in this passage, in these sections of Scripture that we'll be reading today, Jesus and his disciples will observe the Passover feast on the eve of his crucifixion. We begin with Jesus preaching in the temple. We'll be looking at two Gospels here, Luke chapter 21, verses 37 and 38, and John chapter 12, verses 44 through 50. First, Luke chapter 21, verse 37. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Now over to John chapter 12, beginning with verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words, and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me, and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. So Luke here just records that Jesus preached in the temple each day during the gathering in Jerusalem for the Passover. Now John goes into more detail and specifies that Jesus preached the prerequisite to eternal life, believing on Jesus, trusting Jesus as Savior. He makes the contrast between abiding in light as opposed to darkness and then issues a stern warning regarding judgment on those that reject Jesus as Savior. There's a solemn warning that's applicable to all in John chapter 12, verse 48. Here's what it says. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. We'll all be judged by the message of Jesus. Now, just a few hours later, Jesus would make this statement again in John chapter 14, verse 6. Here's what he'd say. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. These two verses stand on their own without commentary. Here it is. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. God has not provided an alternate means of salvation, just Jesus the Savior. In the next section of Scripture... We'll read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and see that the Sanhedrin, the council of the Jews, conspires against Jesus. 
be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, and Luke chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. First, Matthew 26, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Then assembled together the chief priest and the scribes, and the elders of the people into the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now over to Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, to get his account. And after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And now over to Luke's account in Luke chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Well, these Jewish leaders were unable to locate Jesus except for the times when crowds were gathered around him. They seemed to always lose respect in the eyes of the Jewish masses as a result of the confrontations they had with Jesus on those public occasions. They weren't just mentally equipped. I mean, they just weren't for those verbal duels with the Son of God. Now, not wanting to go head-to-head with Jesus in front of the Passover crowd, they conspire to attempt his capture after the crowds are cleared out of Jerusalem because they were afraid of the common people. Matthew and Mark both use the same Greek word, dalos, to describe the proposed method for capturing and killing Jesus. That word dalos means trickery, translated in the King James, satility. Also, craft, it's used in uh, and translated craft in Mark chapter 14, verse 1. So here's the dilemma for these Jewish leaders. Who can we find to lead us to Jesus at a time when he's not surrounded by crowds of adoring Jews? We'll find our culprit later on in these three chapters, and his name is, yep, you know it, Judas Iscariot. We find a recording of Jesus having supper at the leper's house in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13, and Mark chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. Now, I should point out that we have seen this in the reading on John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Matthew and Mark have just made reference to the time in Matthew 26, 2 and Mark 14, 1 as being two days before the Passover. While they continue their narratives into this passage, neither Matthew nor Mark declare when the supper at Simon the leper's house actually took place. In fact, we know from John chapter 12, verse 1, that the supper was held in Bethany four days prior to this six days before the Passover. It must be concluded, therefore, that the Matthew and Mark accounts are not following this event sequentially, not chronologically, not exactly when it happened. Only John records the um, passage in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11, and the sequence in which it undoubtedly happened, because he records so and says exactly when it happened. Now, what we're going to do is, uh, in order to get our proper perspective, since we're reading the Matthew and Mark uh, passages in today's reading, we're also going to repeat and read once again the John 12 passage 
to give us a full picture of what took place that day. So first, let's read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. Now over to Mark's account in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her, and Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Now over to John chapter 12 which is a repeat reading from having read it a few days ago, beginning with verse 1. And here we get the time frame. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, Let her alone against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him... Many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, John's account we read on um, May the 1st, and we at that time also read Matthew and Mark's account. I think we'll do it all over again here, which we just read them, and I think I'll give you the uh, notes, the commentary on this passage, just as I did on May 1st. It's interesting to note here that John's gospel specifically identifies this event to have taken place six days before the Passover. Now, Matthew and Mark, they don't specifically address the exact time of this Bethany experience. 
Though similar in circumstances, this event is different. Now keep in mind, different from an earlier occasion reported only by Luke much earlier, a couple years early, in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. While Matthew and Mark here report that the meal took place at the house of Simon the leper, John reports that one of the guests was Lazarus, the one having been raised from the dead by Jesus in John chapter 11. Now, perhaps the meal here was in Lazarus' honor, having been resurrected from the dead. I mean, that's worth celebrating, right? Therefore, it's logical to conclude that this was the two sisters of Lazarus, Mary and Martha. They are the ones that prepared the meal. They're mentioned by name in John's account. Likewise, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her hair is Mary, according to John, presumably the sister of Lazarus. Judas estimates the value of the ointment at 300 pence. That's also known as a penny, translated from the Greek word denarion. How much is a denarion? Well, back in Matthew chapter 20, verse 2, we see that a denarion, a penny or a pence translation, was the wage given for one day's work in the vineyard. That would make the anointment used here worth somewhere between eighteen to $24,000 or so uh, by today's standards. While Matthew and Mark don't indicate which disciple complained about the waste of ointment, John clearly identifies Judas Iscariot as one of the culprits here. And he goes on to give us an insight into Judas' motivation for his criticism in verse 6 of John chapter 12 when he says, This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Moreover, it would appear that perhaps Matthew and Mark are relating this instance to some justification in Judas' mind for betraying Jesus since they include this occasion just prior to their reporting of the betrayal. Matthew and Mark report that other disciples, in addition to Judas, were also unhappy about this waste of ointment. All three gospel accounts quote Jesus as having said that this anointing was in preparation for his burial. So just how much did the Jewish leadership care about the truth? Well, I think it's obvious when you read their reaction in verses 10 and 11 of John. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Imagine this. They conspired to have an innocent man, Lazarus, put to death simply to destroy the evidence of his resurrection by Jesus. And Jesus told them that they were of their father, the devil, back in John chapter 8, 44. Well, you got to admit that these were indeed very evil men. Yet, ironically, they were considered to be the most religious men of their day. By the way, going through life with a name like Simon the Leper, well, that had to be tough. Apparently, he'd been cured of leprosy, and the name just stuck. There's only one thing that I can think of that would be worse. Since Judas Iscariot, we find from this passage, was Simon's son, we see that in John 12:4. He would later be known as Simon, father of Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed Jesus. Incidentally, if this story looks familiar, perhaps it's because a similar event took place earlier in Jesus' ministry, and that's recorded back in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. In that passage, the woman is not identified, and the time frame there is one to two years earlier than the time frame where this takes place 
just before the Feast of Passover. In the next section of Scripture, we'll be looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we'll be see the, seeing that Judas makes a deal. Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. And Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6. First, let's read Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 14. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they coveted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Now over to Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 10. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he saw how he might conveniently betray him. Now over to Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Now, there had been a lot of concern among the Jewish leadership regarding the reaction of the people to capturing Jesus during the day when people could see it. So Judas here provides a solution when he goes to the Jewish leadership and offers to take them to Jesus away from the multitude so that they could take him prisoner quietly. Verse 6 of Luke's gospel, Luke 22, 6 says, And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. Well, this is great news to the Jewish leaders. With this betrayal, they can keep the whole issue out of all the news. At least, that's what they thought. Now, for those who think that maybe Judas somehow made his decision on some ill-conceived noble principles, well, think again. Look at Matthew's account in verse 15, where Judas says to the Jewish leaders, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? The only principle here, by Judas, is greed. In our next section of Scripture, we'll see the preparation for the last Passover. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 to 19, Mark chapter 14, verses 12 to 16, and Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. First, Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now over to Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 12. And the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city, and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now over to Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 7. 
Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go, prepare us the Passover that we may eat. They said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And he shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. In these three accounts from all three gospel writers, synoptic gospel writers, we see that Jesus and his disciples observed the Passover on the day identified by Mark as, quote, the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover. Now, regarding the observance of the Passover feast in Jesus' day, it's obvious that some observed the actual meal on the evening of Nisan 14, when the lamb was actually slain, while others observed the Passover meal on the following evening, Nisan 15. Now, I've provided an information box on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading, entitled, What's the Correct Day to Observe the Passover? Uh, that's quite an interesting read if, you're, if you have an interest in uh, the Feast of the Passover and the fact that some did it on Nisan 14, some did on Nisan 15. You can also find that article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Again, it's entitled, What's the Correct Day to Observe the Passover? In this passage, we see that Jesus and his disciples observe it on Nisan 14. In our next section of Scripture, we have the actual last Passover meal recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 and 21, Mark chapter 14, verses 17 and 18, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 16, and John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. First to Matthew 26, 20. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Now over to Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 17. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve, and as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Now over to Luke chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And finally, over to John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. So here we have Jesus sitting down for the Passover meal with all 12 of his disciples, referenced here as apostles, and he proclaims that his hour of suffering has come. In addition, he prophesies that one of the disciples will betray him. Now, let me give you the sequence of events that will be uh, looking at through all four Gospels. Some of them record things that others don't. And so I've taken and strung the sequence of events together 
I'm convinced correctly. And let me give you a rundown of how that's going to unfold for us. First of all, the Passover meal with reference to the betrayal is the passage that we just looked at. Only Luke fails to mention Jesus' comment about the betrayal in these verses. Then we have the feet washing, which we're going to be looking at, only recorded by John in John chapter 13, verses 4 through 20. Judas does participate in the foot washing after the Passover meal. Then they return to the table. John records that in John 13, 21 to 28. Then Jesus identifies the betrayer down in verse 26 of John's gospel, chapter 13. Judas then leaves the room in verse 30. And then the communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, takes place in Matthew chapter 26, 26 to 30, Mark 14, 22 to 26, and Luke 22, 17 to 20. Judas is not present for the communion. And another thing that's interesting here is that while John does record the foot washing which preceded communion, he doesn't actually cover the communion that takes place after the foot washing. All right, let's look at that foot washing in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. He ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed neither not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye not what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that receiveth whomsoever I send, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. It's after the Passover supper when Jesus does something that obviously surprises the disciples. Well, at least it surprises Peter. He washes their feet. It's interesting that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the institution of the Lord's Supper after the Passover meal, but John doesn't record that. Instead, John records the event that follows afterward, and that's the foot washing. And the other three Gospels, the authors, they don't record the foot washing. Peter finds this foot washing ritual very unsettling. 
There's obviously no question here in his mind regarding the lordship of Jesus. In typical Peter style, he thinks it's not appropriate for Jesus to wash his feet. On the other hand, there's Judas. We saw in this passage, verse 2, that he'd already determined to betray Jesus. It's significant to note that Jesus is promoting the demonstration of humility among the disciples with this act in verse 14 when he says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This act takes on perspective when we recognize that the conversation about who's the greatest in Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 30, uh, verses that we'll be looking at in a few moments, takes place at the very same time, the very same sitting. By recognizing that these two events are tied together, we see that this foot washing served as a unique lesson on humility for the disciples at that time, and it's not intended to be observed down through the ages as an ordinance like baptism or communion. Both baptism and communion commemorate Jesus' sacrifice, our relationship to the Lord, while the washing of feet on this occasion was for the purpose of teaching a lesson on authority to the disciples. It occurs to me that the foot washing episode six days earlier must have been looming in the disciples' minds as this event was taking place. We saw that up in the passage earlier when Mary washed his feet and anointed it with ointment. In the next section of Scripture, we'll see that Jesus is identified as the betrayer. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 22 to 25, Mark 14, 19 to 21, and John chapter 13, verses 21 to 35. First, Matthew chapter 26, verse 22. And they were exceeding sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth, as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. Now over to Mark 14, verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and saying to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goeth, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Now we get a fuller account over in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake unto this man. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, 
or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, Whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now, John's gospel gives the most detail in this section of Scripture on this occasion. Jesus proclaims to the twelve that one of them will betray him. They begin to ask among themselves who this should be. Jesus clearly identifies Judas in John's gospel by giving him the word right here at the supper table. This identification apparently isn't completely clear to the other disciples when Jesus sends Judas away to go about his betrayal business. We know this from John chapter 13, verses 28 and 29. Incidentally, the identification of one of the disciples in verse 23, which says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, well, that's a reference to John himself, the one who wrote this gospel. He's clearly identified in John chapter 21, verses 20 to 25 as such. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, we find the foundational verses for several exhortations in the epistles regarding the attitude of believers toward one another. Notice what Jesus says right here on this subject. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Simply put, believers are to be known by the fact that they demonstrate love toward other believers. In our next section of Scripture in the Gospels, we'll be looking at the occasion where the Lord's Supper is instituted. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 30, Mark chapter 14, verses 22 to 26, and Luke chapter 22, verses 17 to 20. First, Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and brake it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now over to Mark chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and brake it and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now over to Luke chapter 22, verse 17. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. 
Likewise, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Well, here's where our ordinance began, the Lord's Supper, communion. All three synoptic gospels detail the event that followed their Passover meal. However, only Luke includes the words of Jesus in verse 19, where he says, This do in remembrance of me. Paul further adds support to the continual observance of communion by believers when he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. While no interval between observations is uh, specified in this passage, it appears that the disciples in the book of Acts observed communion on a weekly basis and perhaps every time they met. This seems to be indicated in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, which says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and they continued his speech until midnight. However, there is no correct interval mandated for the observance of this ordinance, the Lord's Supper. Jesus declared that the bread here is a picture of his body and the drink a picture of his shed blood. All three accounts make this point very clearly. Jesus makes a very clear statement regarding the covenant represented by this action. He calls it the New Testament. The word for testament here is diatheke, and it's interchangeably translated covenant in the New Testament, sometimes testament, sometimes covenant. It's important to recognize that this old covenant is the Mosaic law. The new covenant is salvation by grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christians today, well, they get kind of confused when they fail to differentiate between the old covenant, the Mosaic law, and the new covenant, salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Matthew in verse 30 and Mark in verse 26 report that this first communion was concluded with the singing of a hymn. It's likely that this was the singing of one of the songs found between Psalm 113 and 118. Jewish tradition tells us that these were songs that were sung as part of the Passover celebration. Then we have this discussion that we alluded to earlier among the disciples about who's the greatest. Found in Luke chapter 22, only Luke's gospel, verses 21 to 30. Verse 21, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So as the disciples are there talking about the identity of the betrayer, they wander into a discussion about who's the greatest among them. 
Now, John doesn't record this discussion, but it's interesting that the foot-washing ceremony happens at the very same time as this discussion. It's logical to assume that Jesus' words, when he says, ye also ought to wash one another's feet, that uh, those words are spoken to emphasize the servant component rather than the leadership component of being one of Jesus' disciples. Now, there's another aspect of this that's interesting. John doesn't record the who's the greatest discussion, but he does record the foot washing, which I believe is related. John also doesn't record another incident which took place some time back as was recorded in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28, and Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. On that occasion, it was John himself and his brother James who sought some guarantees about their future place in the coming kingdom. They even used their mom as their agent on that occasion. Jesus used that occasion to emphasize that serving is the essential quality of a disciple. He demonstrated that back then as well. Incidentally, on that occasion, the other disciples were moved, it says, with indignation against the two brethren. This competition for ruling supremacy uh, among the twelve had a basis in Jesus' previous teaching. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, the following words, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. But wait, there's more. We see the new Jerusalem, which is established in Revelation chapter 21. Look at verse 14 of that chapter. It says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So, who gets to be the big man among the twelve? Well, Jesus, of course. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.